This podcast is sponsored by Frog Eyes Incorporated. Need ingredients for your latest potion, oil, elixir, ointment, filter, tincture, or tonic? Frog Eyes has the region's widest selection of beetle stings, newt's ears, troll blood, crocodile tears, dragon thorns, fairy wings, gnat warts, horse antennae, jabberwocky breath, and cheese. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I, as always, am your host, Morris, a.k.a. Russ, or Russ, a.k.a. Morris. And with me is my erudite yet entertaining co-host... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ has ever an absolute delight to be here. It is, isn't it? Absolutely. How are you this week, Peter? I am fantastic. You look fantastic. I don't, I don't. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's the hat, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what made I, you start wearing top hats, I wonder? Well, it's just like sometimes you have to dress up a little bit. I think the top hat and the white t-shirt go particularly well together. The feathers a bit much. Do you think? I don't know. I, I think, I'd I think, be alright if it was one feather, but you've got the entire peacock tail there. It's <laughs> well, well, Does yeah. it catch the wind? As the peacocks will tell you, if you've got it, flaunt it. Fair enough. Moving <laughs> swiftly on. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Oh, guess what, by the way, Peter? What, what, what? This is no. episode number 24 of our podcast. Okay, so next week will be exciting. But yes. we had an episode zero. <gasps> that makes this the 25th episode of our podcast. What? 25 wow. episodes. Wow, that's amazing. That is amazing. Oh, so long. Yeah. Well, we, start, <laughs> we started in June, so we're coming up on six months of podcasting. Well, that will be 26 weeks, which will be episode 25 coming up next week. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, so happy birthday to us. Yay. Yes. Happy, happy half birthday. Happy half, half birthday. birthday yeah. yeah. Okay. We yeah. haven't got to seven months yet, Morrissey. Yeah. Well, that'll be, that'll be January. Um, potentially. Because yeah. we always said, right, when we started this, because yeah. basically we, we said yes. if we can do... Seven episodes, Yes, that would be good. If we could do seven months, yes. then we know we're really in it for the long haul. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like we're coming up on the seven months not too far off. And it looks like we're not in any danger of slowing down. So oh. I think we are in fact in it on, for the long haul now. Um, yeah. So, Peter. Yes, Russ. In the last week, yes. what would you say has caught your eye in the world of RPGs? Uh, the, the number one thing that has been catching my attention and absorbing large amounts of brain power and effort on my part, behalf has been a little computer game that a friend of mine recommended to me oh. called uh, Pathfinder Kingmaker. Ooh, <laughs> stealing my things of the week from the past. I know, but it's like, you, you talk about stuff, you, you don't expect me to pay attention to you, do you? <laughs> well, clearly not. It was on sale on Steam. The time seemed right. I was a bit worried because it's had a lot of reports of being immensely buggy, but I'm delighted to say that I've played for several hours now. And I've no. not found that, no. Well, fantastic. Oh, I hadn't heard that. No, I haven't found it to be buggy at all. No, it's like um, I, I, they, they've been working really hard on fixing it according to Steam reviews, and people seem happy with it. I'm hmm. like, okay, I'll give it well. Hello, your editor Daryl here. Early reviews for Pathfinder Kingmaker noted several bugs, which is common not only for an independent release, but also for one releasing on multiple platforms, as Pathfinder Kingmaker is available on PC, Mac, and Linux. The other big issue reported by many players is that the game seemed to assume you had at least a passing familiarity with either Pathfinder or the D20 system in general, as it didn't do a very good job of explaining how some class abilities, feats, spells, and other things worked when leveling up well enough for new players to really understand. 
Thanks to several new updates and patches, however, these issues seem to be resolved. So how, how far in are you? How many how many hours if you because you, you tend to put in a lot more hours into computer games than I do? Uh it, it depends upon what else I'm doing, but I've probably put about six hours in so far. Oh about the same as me probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and you're enjoying it? Uh yeah, no, it's it's interesting to um see the Pathfinder system. There's a lot of little functionalities that you have to add on to stuff. Yeah. It seems... Yeah, Pathfinder is characterised by a lot of small modifiers. There's a lot of them, and you get, like, a lot of stuff, just whichever... Well, to be fair, D&D always was until um, they came up with advantage, disadvantage. Yeah, no, no. I I mean, just with the characters. I've hit level two. I've already made, like, 20 choices about four characters. Yeah. Which is a lot more choice than I'm used to making. Yeah, but we talked about that, about D&D recently, didn't Hmm. we? And um, I was saying how some people complain that the number of choices you make when you level up on this stuff it's not. It's not quite as. I don't know. It's yeah. if exciting is the word, but it's certainly there's less involvement. Mm, in, in mm. you were saying how that's more of a sort of like Apple style streamlined path you follow. Yeah, sort of the closed garden sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm finding it interesting. I don't, but also has someone who is experienced with role playing, but is coming to essentially for the first time Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. There's a bewildering amount of stuff. They have like a little select one of these items here. I'm like. I have no idea what the best idea is to choose for this. Hmm. I'm just going to pick one that sounds cool. Yeah, I think Pathfinder does lend itself a little more towards system mastery than 5th edition does. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And if you're a fan of that sort of thing, and obviously there are many because Pathfinder's mm-hmm. a popular game. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, you, you really can sort of delve into that and start, you know, tweaking dials and bolts and, you know. Oh, I, I could also see how if, if you did have sufficient system mastery in creating a perfectly interesting, valid and you know, well put together character, you would also make something that was just so much better than everything at the table. Just because the possibility for finding, like, local optimizations is so much higher because there's so much space. it's that bad in my experience. I mean, there is, there is, I think, there is a bit of that in there, but not, hmm. not to the sort of game-breaking extent that maybe you're implying that. It's just, you would, I think, it's you would, what, no, you would notice it at the table, I'd say. Yeah. But I don't think it would break your game. And certainly, certainly has... Levels progress. Oh, certainly as you get to the higher levels, it yep. gets a bit. It gets a bit. It's, it's going to have a multiplicative effect. So yeah, that, but that's been very eye opening for me. I have been I have been enjoying myself largely because I think because the, one of the joys of computer role playing games is you don't have to know the rules. Well, there is that. It doesn't for you. Yeah. <laughs> what you have to do is know how to click on things. <laughs> I know. And, and that and level system mastery. <laughs> that level of system mastery, I have managed to Fair complete. Enough. Fair enough. So Russ, that's my thing that's caught my eye, which had previously caught your eye. What thing has caught your eye? The thing that's caught my eye is a funny little thing called a loading screen tips. Okay, I'm interested. So these, these are, you know, when you get on computer games, you get a loading screen and you might get a little tip yes. um, for the for the computer game you're on. Yeah. Someone's put together a whole bunch of D&D ones. Mm. And there's about... And you whack them on the GM screen. Uh, um, I suppose you could put them on the GM screen. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that um, yeah. So there's about 100 odd... Of them, I think, and and most of most of them are just sort of like little rules tips, mm-hmm. like just telling you how something works. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was looking through them, and yeah, okay, it tells you a little loading screen tip about what advantage means or mm-hmm. uh, what cover gives you or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Fine, that's all very well, interesting, possibly useful. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the ones I did like were the uh, the interspersed funny ones. <laughs> so not many of them. There's only sort of like a dozen or so sort of humorous <laughs> ones. But I wrote down some of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, when I say funny, you're not going to fall over laughing, but, you know, you might get a wry smile. Well, I'll make sure I'm sitting down, just <laughs> to minimise any potential injury. You are sitting down. 
I know, it's good, isn't it? That's why I'm making sure I'm sitting down. All right. Then. If I suddenly okay. stood up in excitement at the excitement thing tips that you were telling me, okay. I might fall down. So, so tip just... number one. <gasps> tip number one. Winning combat is easy. All you have to do is reduce your opponents to zero hit points or keeping your hit points above zero. <laughs> Simple when you think about it like that, isn't it? Yeah. To be fair, it is something that you do have to keep in mind. Here's one that might disturb you slightly. Yes. It is entirely valid to take a potion orally or as a suppository. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your face fell. Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> According to monster opticians, yes. a beholder's eyesight <laughs> is 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2014. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, please, roll to seduce an NPC. Your DM is super excited to roleplay that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And, and there's more of them. I won't. I won't Marvelous. Yeah, Marvelous. Marvel, that. But yeah, I'll stick a link in the show notes to that. But it is quite funny. That no, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I had heard of a similar idea of someone, which was they had like sort of loading screen tips. So it was like a little piece of paper with such tip written on it. Mm-hmm. They whack it on top of the GM screen. Yeah. Whilst they're busy uh, doing a bit of admin and fiddling stuff around, so players have something to look at, laugh, or learn. Mm. Anyway, that's enough of that. Oh. Oh, can we do the news? Do we have to? Uh, is it that we talk about Django for the next hour or so? We could do that. I'm, I'm, don't, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do the news then. Oh, very well then. Let us do the news. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tactical maps reincarnated. Ooh, that sounds interesting. So this is from Wizards of the Coast. Of course. And uh, includes 20 full-colour tactical-sized poster maps ready for use on the table straight away. Nice. And these are reprinted from sort of third and fourth edition adventures, like Tomb of Horrors, um, The Book of Vile Darkness, Fields of oh. Ruin, Dungeon Master's Kit, it says here. Okay. Uh, Vaults of the Underdark, um, Red Hand of Doom, stuff like that. Um, it's due out February 2019 for about $25. Okay. And what do you get? Because, I mean, maps, sure. You get 20 full-colour tactical size poster maps. Oh, okay, they're poster maps. Oh, yeah. right, right. So it's almost like I said it, but <laughs> you weren't paying attention. Well, I, I missed the full-size poster bit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it's like, what, poster paper? Uh, they're not... I don't like, know what paper buying. they're made of. I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I mean it, can't, it can't be that much if it's like $25 a go sort of thing. Yeah, because the, the Pathfinder flip mats are yep. uh, sort of, what, half that for a single map. Yeah, yeah. And, but they're made of quite sort of dry erase sort of... Um, I don't know what material that is. Yeah, they're sort you of vinyl, I mean? vinyl yeah. mats. Yeah. They're, not, they're not vinyl, but they're... No, they're, they're coated paper, yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah, it's like cool. quite, quite like a battle mat. Yeah. 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 Oh, they're sort of like a bit bit like lino. Linoleum. Um, the ones I'm thinking of. Could be wrong. No. Okay. Do you remember I mentioned the annual most anticipated RPG poll? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Paul. So all the nominations came in. And this is on ianworld.org. Yes. So there were uh, about 60, between, I think it was between somewhere between 55 and 60 games nominated. That's right. Um, pretty much anything you can think of that is or may be coming out in 2019, mm-hmm. including a lot of games I'd never heard of. Fantastic. It's amazing to see the hobby so vibrant. Yeah. So, so the poll's now live. Actually, it's been live for about a week, to be honest. Um, bum, bum, I went bum. live last week. Yeah. And it runs until Tuesday, December the 4th. 
Ooh. It's had over a thousand voters already so far. Yeah. Um, you can vote for as many titles as you like, and we'll talk about the winners in December, which is yeah. very soon, actually. So, you know, next mm. month sometime. Sounds and just amazing. just go through, like, the top ten. Yeah, well, maybe we should talk about the winners once the poll's finished. Well, yes, that's probably probably helps, doesn't it? But the uh, the winner last year was Vampire the Masquerade uh, 5th Edition. Yes, yes, that was hotly anticipated. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's some... Um, yeah. These have been available for a while in on Gale Force Nine's website, and uh, apparently they hit local game stores recently. Uh, mon- uh, spell cards and stuff like uh, that. Yeah, monster and magic item cards. These are. Ooh, okay. So they've been, they've been around for a little bit, but yeah. um, they haven't been on Amazon, and they've just popped up on Amazon, uh-huh. uh, but with a release date of February 2019. So if you want them now. Head on down to your local game store, yep. or go to Gale Force Nine's website. Yep. If you want them from Amazon, you have to wait till February twenty nineteen. Sounds like a bit of a no brainer to me. Um, so there's three sets. Yeah. So uh, the first one is a set of D and D monster cards, mm-hmm. which contains one hundred and seventy nine laminated cards uh, with a challenge rating zero to five. Oh, that's exciting! Um, on one side of it is game stats, the other side it's art. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, the second set is challenge rating six to sixteen monster cards. Although only 74 of them this time. Well, there are less yeah, monsters than RNs. But that's yeah. a significantly uh, 179 versus 74. And you've probably got like extra space that they Well, there's some special double-sized cards with some of the more powerful or complex creatures mm. on those. Yeah. And then finally, we've got magic item cards. Oh, so nice. 294 cards for this set. Yeah, that sounds Magical right. weapons and armor and other wondrous items. Potions, lotions, like staves, staves, wands, circlets... Necklets, suppositories. Yeah, don't forget the magical suppositories. That's <laughs> obviously that joke, that joke will never die. <laughs> Not anymore, it won't. No. So we've got lots of stuff uh, coming out for fifth and so forth. Well supported as ever. In fact, I think there's a certain fifth ed hotly anticipated product which we've been looking forward to for ages, and which as I I see is on the table. Well, I guess that's it for the news then. Um, yeah. Okay. That's quick, well, short, and sweet. Let's play our favourite game in all the world. All right, then. Let's play our favourite game in all the world. Um, so I just want to do a quick little shout-out to our new columnist Ooh. who has taken over from Angus as the uh, Kickstarter Roundup columnist. Well, Angus does seem like he's a busy man at Board Game Guru. Yeah, so our, our new uh, our new uh, Kickstarter columnist is Egg Embry. Egg Embry. That's his name. Egg Embry. Okay. And now you look was... at, You're looking at me like you don't believe that's his name. Well... What can I say? There I've been slandering wizards for giving NPCs a bad name. <laughs> it turns out that uh, there are actually people called Egg, like and Carl. And who and who was I to? What have I been? What kind of linguistic prescriptivism have I been practicing? Anyway, I apologise, Egg, <laughs> on air for making fun of your name. Yeah, I'm just, sorry. That's just mean. It's a perfectly reasonable name, You're not really especially coming from someone called Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even spell coffee right either. That's the I know it. It's all over the shop. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay, then let's play our favourite game in all the world the game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. It's the best title ever. And the best game ever. Woo! Okay, then. Yes. Shall we commence? Let's start with. Oh, the best game ever. I know that one. Uh, that was by, I think it Monty Cook Games or something. And it's all about how to. Lots of GMing advice on how to. Uh, run games, but our Kickstarter's finished. I was pretty sure. It's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Now I have something to reply to the <laughs> <supporters> with. <laughs> uh, 
So, um, the first one is... Yes? Thousand Arrows. Thousand Arrows? Not 999 Arrows. No. Not 1001 Arrows. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thousand Arrows. That's a lot of arrows. Hmm. That's like 50 quivers worth. Wow. I think... A Japanese RPG. Okay. Uh, some sort of sa- samurai sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Hmm. But I'm not entirely satisfied with that answer. It seems a bit facile. So instead, I will swerve from the path of potentially being correct and say instead, it's a thousand arrows, as in, it's a thousand plot seeds for RPGs. Okay, then. Well, unfortunately, you have scored... Yes? Minus 5,000 points. Woo! However, had you stuck with your first answer, yes. you would have scored 10 points. Yay! Out of? 10. Oh. So, um, you you got it. You nailed it. A thousand, yes. arrows, a, a thousand Arrows, a Samurai Action and Drama Tabletop RPG. Yep. It's exactly that. It's exactly what you said. But you changed your mind. I did. Went with the wrong answer. I know. I, I personally would quite like my answer <laughs> for Kickstarter. Hint, hint. Well, there we go. Um, but, yeah, no, no, but tell me more about this uh, original idea, because that is clearly a brilliant name. Okay. It makes me get it exactly off the top. It is. So, powered by the apocalypse. Of course. 16th century. Strong. Um, Japan is at war. Uh, Traditional. Yeah, sort of Kurosawa sort of style setting. Naturally. You uh, assume the characters of commanding figures in a fictional Japan... Parallel to our historical one. Interesting. So I assume that means essentially you can change history. Or not study it at all, if such as you want. <clears throat> no. Yeah, I mean, it's got some quite cartoony... Um, Ooh, okay. Oh, okay, so that's... Cartoony sort of, arc. arc. Sort of um, lady arc, samurai wearing, what, padded armour? or And carrying a musket. Yeah, that is a yeah, yeah. weapon. Yeah. like the hat, though. That's pretty strong. It's good but yeah, it's a very distinctive uh, style, yeah. really. Uh, it's not traditional anime, I'd have said. It looks like it belongs to a school of art, but sadly I am too ignorant to be able to tell you which one this is. Well, this Kickstarter ends on Friday, so, um, yeah. If you're you're interested, get in on there quickly. Okay, what is this one? Yes. 5TDM. 5TDM. Thing is, 5TDM is, it's it's 5TDM colon. Yeah, yeah, and then then, the colon explains what the words are. Then the words are what they stand for, so... Ah, uh, okay, but I want uh, a point multiplier if I get it right, because that's quite hard. <laughs> you have four, you have four symbols, four letters, well, numbers and letters. Enjoy. Tell us but what I'll give you means. extra points if your answer is interesting in the in the uh, sort of quite interesting kind of uh, kind of style. Mm. Like so one extra point. I'm going to shoot from the hip and say straight away that DM is going to be Dungeon Master. Um, now, what does that let me infer? infer about 5t well if we do say dungeon master then that's probably more specifically going to be the fantasy genre rather than other is it the number five yeah mm-hmm. okay well interestingly the number five doesn't generally carry a lot of significance that would be numbers three and seven so that rules out a fairy tale reference for me you've got legend of the five rings but they wouldn't have dms because they're a separate intellectual property <laughs> so i'm thinking uh, um, uh, it's it's always a safe bet going with Fifth Ed because they're just producing so much stuff at the moment as are third party publishers so that leaves me with the interesting problem of like is the 5 to do with Fifth Ed then what then does the T because uh, the most prosaic answer is it something like Fifth Ed tabletop DMing 
So some sort of advice guide for DMs on how to do it, but that's sounds a bit. I mean, that could be good, but depending on who did it, it could be a bit dull. Can I make it more interesting? <laughs> do you give up? I'm thinking. No, go on. What is it? It is. Yes. Fifth edition. Yes. Team Deathmatch. <laughs> you were never going to get that, were you? Seems unlikely. Um, <laughs> from the expanded clue, it sounds like a Kickstarter for rules for a bit like the RPG sports idea, where you have like how to set up tournament style play between teams of fifth ed PCs, presumably with some sort of interesting arena style floor to do it on. Mm. So like like Quake, Quake Deathmatch, if Quake was really, really slow. Yeah, so a team-based PvP yeah. competitive tabletop arena. Um, an action RPG about strengthening the bonds you already have with the friends in your game. And go, oh, I don't know what that means. But um, yeah, so small groups of player characters are pitted against each other in a no-holds-barred frenzy of carnage in a team-based player-versus-player competition. So it's taking a very cooperative team-based game and we're putting we're making it entirely team. So this seems to be a bit of a fashion at the moment, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Um, so this this um, game, is, they say that the game is finished. Uh, then they are running the Kickstarter game to raise funds for editing, layout, art and printing. So Okay. So it's not finished then. It's the opposite <laughs> of finished. <laughs> We're totally finished, <laughs> except for the bits that make it a product. <laughs> oh, um, no, no, sorry. We're being cruel, we're being cruel. Um, who, who's producing this uh, thing of wonder? Uh, so this is by Defy Danger, and it's a 100-plus page book, Ooh. 20 original maps, custom rules for competitive team versus team play, a yep. strategy guide, a guide to running your own matches, and a guide to running tournaments. Fantastic. Well... Not for me personally, but I wish them every success. Hmm. Okay, then. Next one. Necrotopia, Handbook to the Apocalypse, book one. Ooh, interesting stuff. Mm. So, Necro from, I think it's the Greek. Could be Roman, I don't know. Not great. At telling the difference between the two, meaning death. Uh, Antopia, referring to either utopia or dystopia. Um, as in a perfect civilization or not, so... Um, a civilization about death, and what was it? Necrotopia, yeah. Handbook to the Apocalypse, yeah. Book One. Okay, so setting ourselves up for civilization of the dead. Potentially, I'm hoping this isn't the answer. Some sort of like post-zombie world, but I'm not getting that from Necrotopia really. So I'm hoping that's not the answer because that'd be boring. So what I'm really hoping for is there's some sort of it's a setting book and there's like been some sort of fantasy apocalypse that has hit or is in the process of being unavoidable that is wrecking everything and causing the undead to be massively in play. I personally would be interested in saying, so what if we had undead has slave labour? Well, they wouldn't really be slave labour, it just like has a um, uh, sort of counter, sort of a magical technology equivalent. Sort of like the Romans threw more slaves at the problem, but instead we're like, uh Need a bigger hole, throw, throw a couple more zombies down there. They'll crack on and do it. Um, and like exploring the ramifications of that. Um, so I guess maybe new system and setting. Uh, yeah, how am I doing? I'm going to give you seven points yep. out of a million. Ooh. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that is only for identifying that the word necro means dead. Because <laughs> everything else was wrong. Oh, okay. So Although not, you were... Not about a civilization you, you, of the dead. Well, no. you all, you started off sticking around... You started off in a kind of veering towards the right answer. Yeah. And then, as you often do, you taught yourself out of it yeah. and went off on a complete tangent that was completely incorrect. Yeah, I, I But if you stuck with game. your first idea, you'd, you'd have, I think you might have gotten that. It's about the Kickstarter I want it to be. Um, <laughs> well, so it's an apocalyptic RPG. Yes. This is a good bit, though. Mm-hmm. You battle through multiple... Apocalypses. Yay! Apocalypse. Apocalypso. Cha 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 cha. Yes. Apocalypso is also a ice cream, isn't it? No, that's Acalypso. The Apocalypso, you don't want to buy that in the shops. You open it and then that's it. Zombies, plagues. Yes, the ice cream man pulls up. Have an Apocalypso, please. And the sky darkens, there's a crack of thunder, and you get one of those cool Ghostbuster style, like whirling funnels up to the sky, and you're like, Oh dear. <laughs> I, just to, I just want to clarify that this is not an ice cream. It's not an ice cream. Though I wish it was. Well, probably melt by the time you got it in the post, to be fair. <laughs> Possibly. Well, it depends. If you had one of those icy apocalypses. Uh, isn't that the... Um... That was very big in the 70s. Well, um, that's the uh, 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 Scandinavian... Um... Oh, sort of the Hellfrost, uh, Ragnarok. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's icy themed, isn't it? It seems likely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this is an apocalyptic RPG. Yes. You battle through multiple apocalypses using a D6 game system. Ooh. You create a character in five minutes, play a session in one hour. So it is a new setting, setting and system? Yes. Fantastic. Um, it's a 30-page standalone rule set book, Ooh. and then it will be expanded with more campaign books afterwards. Okay. So you're just going through multiple times as the world... Does it say how? Yeah. So yeah. So 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 each time you play it is a different apocalypse. So this one says a sample story, sample of the story from the first book. Mm -hmm. They're they're only thirty page books. Yeah. Um, So this one it begins with sparks of an invasion of demonic and interdimensional forces attacking Earth. Uh, A battle between heaven and hell brewing, and you and your friends are caught in the middle. Okay. So that's that's the first book, and then presumably other. Sequels, I guess, will be totally different mm. apocalypses that you can play through. So, and this is obviously revealing my shocking ignorance. Why is it called Necrotopia? Necrotopia is the role-playing game. Well, it's the name of the game. Uh, okay. It calls is it the it Necrotopia based? Universe. Oh. Uh, is it based off something? Is no, not as far as I can make out. No, oh, well, fair enough. Okay. No, Necrotopia, yeah, I'd say it's Death City, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that'd be a necropolis, wouldn't it? No, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it looks quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, I could, yeah. I could see that being fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does need a bit of explanation. Yeah. Uh, you can't just get it from the title. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you, I, I want for our next <laughs> one to do do this one, but but I know that um, it was mentioned by I think it was Grant a couple of weeks ago on our podcast. Okay. So I can't do it, but I'm just going to mention it again just because yeah. I like the idea of it. Yeah. But we can't really play with this one. Is never going home. Remember that one? Not in any way. Oh well, let's, let's do it then. Let's do it then. You can't remember. You can't remember the conversation we had about it. Let's play it. I never going home. What is I, never going home? I had a lot of conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about Strata. <laughs> uh, never going home. Well, it's an interesting title because they. It is said that one can never go home, as in once you've left, the experiences that you have outside of your home, city, village, town, so forth broaden your mind and change you from people who've never left it so such that you can never truly be the same person when you come back 
God, Peter's turned into a philosopher. Hey, it's called Never Going Home. It sounds like it's going to be a philosophical... <laughs> it, it, philosophical. It, it, philosophical. 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 <laughs> Yay! So I, I said it wrong as well. I think that when you are talking about role-playing games, unless it's something like, I don't know, macho women ride motorcycles while shooting machine guns, leaping over the top of 50 buses, then a certain amount of philosophy does need to be in there. And, and it's called no, Never Going Home. So it is called Never Going Home, isn't it? It is called Never Going Home. Okay, just thought I'd check that. Getting the title wrong is pretty embarrassing. So and also s- lessens your odds of winning the game. Substantially. Oh yeah, I guess it sounds like... Well, if, it, if Grant mentioned it, that was actually a fairly big clue because it's not going to be any sort of crunchy, rules-heavy system. It's going to be a really like storytelling-based game because as... As improv, as prep-light as you can manage, as improv-heavy as you could wish for. And it's going to be about stories about people who've been to places and aren't coming back. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to say probably fantasy. You're going to remember this when I tell you what it is. It could happen. Never going home, World War occult role-playing. You don't remember having this conversation? you think I would. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> you you think that, but apparently apparently you, you do not. Super wrong. Okay, yeah. so um, you got minus ten billion points for that because not only did you get it wrong, you also knew it and you got it wrong. I think it's been said in front of me before. I don't think that counts <laughs> me knowing it. Uh, so yeah, so um, never going home refers to uh, World War One. Okay, and uh, it's uh, a simple and easy to learn rules set based on the compass system. It explains the rule set here. I'm not going to describe it because that's just boring podcasting. Um, but uh, it's inspired by the World War occult art of Charles Ferguson Avery. Horror haunted trenches march you through the terror torn battlefields of the First World War. Oh dear. Create a soldier, choose your whispers, join your fellow survivors, fight for your lives, and protect your humanity as long as you can. You are never going home. Well, that sounds cheery. Yeah, that does sound quite, quite unpleasant. In, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, I can see if you like that sort of thing and if you're in the right mood for it, that could be an excellent role-playing experience. But I think probably I filed that under things I am never going to play. Fair enough. So that's probably why I've never had of it. But it's very interesting all the same and not everyone likes the same stuff. So if that does sound like your jam, it does sound like it's going to be an excellent implementation of that. You should totally get on that Kickstarter. Do we know when it ends? Uh, we do, but I've scrolled way away from it now. Way, way away from it. December the 3rd. December the 3rd. Okay, well, you've still just got time to get in about, there. About a week left, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, your editor, Daryl, popping in here, because I think the guys did bury the lead a little bit on Never Going Home, as one of the best things about this game is one of the mechanics. In the game, players have cards that they trade in to level up abilities or power spells, get advantages for rolls, things like that. But each of the card also represents some memory of your life back home. So you have to literally give up part of your past in order to survive the horrors of the battlefield. And if that's not an absolutely amazing metaphor within the actual game design, I don't know what is. Anyway, the link to the campaign is in the show notes if you're interested. Anyway, I think that is the end of our favorite game in all the world. Boose. Never mind. You did quite well this time. Mm, happens. Apart from the bits where you didn't. Yeah, well, yeah. What can I say? I'm in a good mood. Right, fair enough.
Thank you for calling the Adventurers Helpline. How may I help you today? Uh, um, is this the missing persons hotline? No, ma'am. This is the Adventurers Helpline. Well, our fighter is missing, and we're just outside the chamber of moderately speakable horror, planning for the final boss fight of the dungeon. That sounds inconvenient. According to our records, the chamber of moderately speakable horror is suitable for four sixth-level PCs, and you say you're down to three. Yes, it's quite a... Oh, oh, no, wait. Wait, there he is. He's back. Sorry? He's back. He's just suddenly appeared again. Hmm. How long was he missing for? Oh, I'd say just under ten minutes. Maybe closer to five. Right. And is this the first time this has happened? No, no. He tends to vanish at random times with no warning. And then he reappears a few minutes later. It's really weird. Hmm. And how often would you say this happens? Oh, about once an hour, give or take. No warning, he just vanishes, often in mid-battle or mid-sentence. Do you think he might be cursed? Yes, in a sense. I know what's going on here. Your fighter's player is popping out for a cigarette break at semi-regular intervals. Uh, Fighters what now? Never mind. Anyhow, there's not much you can do about it, being a fictional player character subject to the whims of the real world. However... Now you can predict when your fighter is going to disappear and plan your big battles accordingly. Uh, I don't know what that means. I'll just chalk it down to a curse, okay? It's probably easiest to think about it like that. Anyhow, thank you for calling the Adventurer's Helpline. Don't forget to complete the survey after the call. So, Peter... Yes, Russ. I've got a book. So, you've got many books? I do have many books, but I have one particular book. Is it just read? I have that, but that is not the book about which I am referring at this moment. Oh, what book do you have? I have The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica for D&D, ah! fifth edition. Screaming noises Here it is. Yes. It's very shiny. So shiny. So shiny, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, first things first. I should totally take some pictures of that and put them on the Facebook page for the podcast. Well, that as well. But yeah. we, we do need to do the important part of this discussion. We do. Priorities. So, science. Let's yeah. find out how much this book weighs. Would you like to do the honours or should I? Oh, uh, please, if you'd like to put it on the scales. Oh, wait, I've got to go and find my white coat first. <laughs> oh, it's all right. As long as you're wearing eye it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, goggles Rab- on, people. <laughs> Gilmarsh's Guide to Ravnica. Placed upon the scales. Oh. Wow, look at that. 922 of your Earth grams. Fantastic. What's that in Jovian grams? Something like 10,000 times that. I don't know. Okay. Uh, just weighing it for the third time. Just confirm that our scales are accurate. As far as we can make out, it does weigh 922 grams. It does. That is a bit lighter than the Mad Mage. And it does feel lighter when you're holding it. Yes, it's a much smaller book. Well, not much smaller. It is a smaller book. It However, is. what I will say is a much, much, much prettier book. Oh, so gorgeous. So you, do you remember last week when we were looking at Mad Mage, we both commented on the fact that it was very art-light. The artwork, where is it? It did have some. Don't get us wrong. So Mad, Mad Mage headed. basically had one chapter heading. Half pager or quarter pager. Yeah, yeah sort of a third of the page, maybe. Mm-hmm. For each chapter. Yeah. And maybe what? Half dozen spot illustrations spread throughout the book. It did have maps. Yeah. But the maps weren't 
in-character maps. They're yeah. very much out-of-character utility maps. So, yeah, I'd say in Mad Mage, you talk, you're probably talking about an art piece every 20 pages or so. If that, yeah. In this, I think you're talking an art piece more than once every two pages. What? It's not quite every page, but... Wow. And it's got some pretty, pretty... I reckon about pages. once every one and a half pages. I mean, I'm just wow. flicking through this. It is crammed with art. Like Every time you turn a page, there's a new piece of art. If you, uh, oh, tell you what, have a look at the front. Can we shout out some of the illustrators? Uh, we can shout out some yeah. of the illustrators. Oh, well, there's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe we can't because, uh, wow. Well, okay, that's like, what, two paragraphs? Yeah, there's an awful lot of illustrators. Oh, wow. I will say, all you illustrators, you are amazing. This book yeah. is, I think, at least in my opinion, the prettiest D&D book yet in the 5th edition line. I've, you know been, I've, been, I've been looking through it all morning, and really, I, it's just it's just jumps out. It's just gorgeous. I, I haven't seen all the books in the Indie line, but you know what? I think I agree. Yeah, I'm really loving the look, sense look, of the look at these maps as well. Look, we've got these gorgeous sort of three uh, D full color full page maps. Yeah. of each precinct. It's, it's, it's it is labelled, but yeah, it's like it's looking down, and you can see where and everything's this, supposed to be. This double page oh. spread of the tenth district. Look at that! How lovely is nice. that? Nice. Nice. I mean, this book is this book is gorgeous. Yep. But how can we describe this book for people who are like Ravnica? What is that? Because it's not just another basically Western Europe. Yeah. With I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm exciting about it just conceptually, just because yeah. it's a setting. Yeah. A new setting. And I'm a sucker for new settings, and I know it's not a new setting. It's mm. a Magic the Gathering one. Yeah. But it is new to me. Yes. So as far as I'm concerned, this is well, a new setting. New to me as well. Exactly. I, yeah. You know, I've never, I've never played Magic the Gathering. I don't know anything about the mm-hmm. various worlds they have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is a new setting to me. All I know about it is what I've picked up through sort of product previews of this book. Yes. And now having got this book. Absolutely. I mean, it's got what, six chapters? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you want you wanted to sort of like sum it up. I mean, you used before we started the podcast, you used the phrase uh, "major punk." Major punk, yes, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because it's got to me, I feel like a really strong cyberpunk theme. Yeah, in part because it's an entirely urban world. Yeah, it's like Coruscant, isn't it? Yes, Coruscant it's, from the Star Wars. Yeah, thing, so was, it's like an entire city covering yes. an entire world. Absolutely. And yeah. this, this whole world has lots of sort of techno magic. So it's much. Not, yeah. So it's not. I mean, they haven't I mean, got computers, and they haven't got... Um, yeah, they, they, they don't have, like, digital things, but they do have, like, sort of... And just looking at the front cover, when you actually can see it in all its uh, A4 glory, mm. uh, you can see that she, she's wearing the sort of thing that you would see people wandering around at a steampunk convention with. Yeah, like, and I wouldn't yeah. say steampunk quite so much, because it hasn't quite got the fashion side. It's got yeah. the top hats and the goggles and all that sort of stuff. Not, 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 yeah, not telling the full with. Victorian yeah. side of things. So it's clearly not steampunk per se. It is also clearly... But you could mistake that for an electropunk drawing. Yeah. It's definitely a lot of magical science, basically. Yes, yeah. very much. Yeah. It's like thaumatogy has a science. Putting those together. I did I, also notice on one page here you can get coffee. I'm listening. Have you ever seen coffee in a D&D book before? No. Uh, I don't know where it is exactly now, but I, when I was um, looking through it earlier, there was this little page of like things that you can order, just services and foodstuffs and stuff. There's only like uh, six or seven yeah. items on there, but one of them was a cup of coffee. So I could go in and order a cup of coffee as opposed to a beer. Or, yeah. Or, 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 a, or an yeah. ale. Yeah. Or, if I was feeling fancy, a mead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we sort of describe what this is. So Ravnica, as you mentioned, yes. was a city-wide, uh, a worldwide city. Controlled by guilds. This book, however, only only covers one district of that city. 
Yes, that's right. Uh, so divided this, into what ten precincts? Uh, it's divided into divided into uh, ten precincts, which mm. are they've got great names as well. Mm. Uh, the first precinct mm-hmm. is called um, Precinct One. Nice. nice. Second precinct. It's yes. got an even better name. Guess what it's called? It's called Precinct, Precinct 2. What? Wow. But yeah, you're going to love the third precinct. It's called... Oh, uh, yeah. I'm waiting. Precinct uh, 3. What? These are amazing, aren't they? Evocative. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. But that so, speaks of almost like a scientific sort of turn of mind. Maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. So it's, it, just, it's, just, uh, it's, it's actually, it's, it's only six precincts, sorry. There's ten districts. Ten districts. Sorry, there's six bad. precincts. Right. So the, right. Di- the districts are called the first district, the second district, the third district. The tenth district is the book that this book, right? These one this book is about. It, I think we should say probably there's probably at least ten districts. Does that make sense? Uh, right, yes, wet. I suppose so. Yes. Yeah. And this yeah. is just like it's not like the first district, the second district, but it's in the top ten yeah. of districts that they have in Ravnica. So what? I mean, it's a very, it's a very, very structured setting. So you have got. These yeah, numbered districts, mm-hmm. these numbered precincts, and then you've got exactly ten guilds, and it's all very yes. regimented and yeah. sort of outline stuff, which, which is absolutely fascinating. And that's Ken is why I'm I, I'm going with Major Punk because compare and contrast with your traditional cyberpunk themes of a dystopia of massive urbanization, lack of nature, um, non-elected governments being in control, which obviously a fantasy genre. We're like, oh well, it's a king. But it's generally assumed that kings are benevolent as opposed to the biggest armed person on the block with a selection of armed persons working for them. So Isn't that Dwayne Rock Johnson? The biggest <laughs> armed person on the block. <laughs> you heard it here first. Dwayne Johnson for king. <laughs> He's got my vote. Uh, which is sort of the point about what I'm trying to make, which is that you've got a civilization. It's not working on the same themes and assumptions as your traditional D&D. Mm. The world is not old. Or it might be, but that's not it the relevance. Is. It's, well, it's at least 10,000 years old. Yeah, but that's not that old. We've got like 50,000 years of recorded human history. Just It's still quite old. Well, we don't have well it's just more than 10,000 years ago. Yeah. So obviously, um, Ravnica existed yeah. before that. But oh, yeah. So 10,000 years ago... Um, the yeah. world of Ravnica, there was this big old war, yes. and everyone had a bit of a scuffle and a bit of a fight bit of bomb, and stuff. Yeah. And there were ten armies. It's all this regimented. There's ten of these. There's, so the ten armies they battled for control of the world. Yes. At the end of this conflict, it ended. There was this uh, magical contract signed. Yes. And it was a really powerful contract, and it's called the Guild Pact. Yes. And this Guild Pact, and uh, the leaders of each of the ten armies, yes. uh, they all signed it, and uh, they were the first Guild Masters of Ravnica. Maybe there is only ten districts. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, it, it does say the, the uh, guilds don't relate to the districts. They're not, oh, okay. they're not geographically. They're yes. present in all districts. But, Absolutely. But anyway, um, so the, the Guild Pact sort of um, defines the roles of the mm-hmm. ten guilds. Yes. And uh, not only did it define them, it also magically enforced them. Nice. So it's like magically enforced laws. Well, you'd have to really, because you can't trust them. They're all like well shonky people. Yeah. Um. So that that was kind of like the beginning of the sort of modern Ravican calendar. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of like for ten thousand years, the, the city sort of flourished, the world, the world flourished city, yeah. and stuff. But then um, the pact was broken. Bum bum bum. And uh, this sort of balance was like thrown apart and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was like chaos everywhere and mm. all this sort of stuff and. Um, 
this 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 uh this chaos went on for a while and eventually the guilds kind of um reasserted themselves but when this happened the uh, magical force of the guild pact mm-hmm. had gone away oh okay so they so instead of having this sort of um overall magical sort of contract binding them it's what it about pax guild manica or something it was more like of an uneasy balance of power instead that was like keeping Yay! things in order that sounds super stable we remember how balance of power it does sound fun <laughs> Does yeah. sound, it does sound great. So there was a, a contingency plan that would take effect if the uh, guild pack was broken. Okay. And this was, there's this ley lines um, all over Ravnica. And uh-huh. it's called the Implicit Maze. And um, okay, uh, if the guilds cooperate to solve the maze, uh-huh. they would be able to sort of create a new guild pact. Oh, okay. And that eventually happened, and the, oh, right. that power was sort of incarnated in the person of a, a guy called Jace Bellaren, who I'm going to call Jason from now on. <sighs> your editor Daryl here literally face-palming. For all you Magic the Gathering fans upset about calling one of the most iconic planeswalkers by the wrong name, please remember to send your angry emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com or you can post to our Facebook group, which is linked in the show notes. I just want to say I had absolutely nothing to do with this. <laughs> uh, so he became the living guild pact. Absolutely. And uh, so his word becomes a binding law of Ravnica. Not not just because everyone obeys it, but it, it mm-hmm. magically becomes unbreakable law. So all he has to do is say something, that becomes law, and it's magically unbreakable. I know, uh, I'm sorry, Russ. I'm just still laughing at the fact that he's called Jace Bellend. Um. <laughs> well, the problem with Jason Bellend is he's a he's a planeswalker, right? And um, he uh, doesn't hang around Ravnica very much. Uh, so planeswalker, presumably, he likes to get out and fresh air, get lots of exercise. Yeah, he is spends, that, is that what you're telling me? He spends extended periods. Of, this is a really bad setup, actually. So the guy yes. who is basically the person who creates and enforces all the laws yes. basically spends most of his time on holiday. Obviously, there's a certain amount of political humour that could be made at this point. Um, so um, when he's not that, there, that seems rude. <laughs> so when he's when he's not there, Ravnica uh, sort of has to fend for itself because the power, which is binding everyone, mm. is gone. And yeah. so the guilds end up fighting with each other again nice. while he's not there until he comes back and sort of reestablishes order again. Mm-mm-mm. And uh, these conflicts kind of erupt in a variety of forms. You know, they'll like clash in the streets, or they'll do espionage mm. against each other, or they'll. Do all sorts of different, you know, random oh, guild, guildy yeah, yeah. stuff and stuff like that. And so it's like this precarious piece which is like hanging in the balance mm-hmm. with all these ten guilds kind of, yeah. you know, with this power struggle constantly going on. Do you know what this sounds like a lot to me? What does it sound it like? It sounds like D&D is traditionally set in a sort of a pseudo-medieval world. Mm. This sounds like it's set in a pseudo-ancient world. Because if you think about it, ancient Rome, ancient China, mm. like... These places had absolutely huge armies, massively complex systems. Hmm. Then, for whatever reason, it all goes sideways and it becomes like we essentially start living in the Dark Ages where there's like lots of ruins and civilization. I found you a cup of coffee. <gasps> cup of coffee, 10 copper pieces. Newspaper, 15 copper pieces. Pendulum clock, 100 to 250 gold pieces. Mm-hmm. Spectacles, <gasps> 25 gold pieces. And a spyglass, 50 to 100 gold pieces. And the cosmopolitan conveniences. Yes. Yeah. That, that is pretty strong. It's very much setting out a very different flavour. You're not going to be out in the forest stabbing some goblins mm. or in a hole stabbing some goblins. 
Goblins always get stabbed. <laughs> so the book. Poor Goblins. So the book. Right, sort yeah. of, right, so, you, so you start off with a sort of overall welcoming chapter. Yes. And you get a character creation chapter. Yes. And that mainly is mainly about the, the new races. Yeah. Um, so we've got centaurs, or if you're Americans, centaurs. Uh, Ooh, goblins. Loxodons, which are those elephant guys. They are. Minotaurs, or if you're American, Minotaurs. That's how they say it. Russ, please talk to one of the American listeners. They don't like it. <laughs> they can't talk. <laughs> like you want to... <laughs> Incoherent rage and sputtering noises erupted from Peter. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the, the Simic hybrids. Yes. And the Vedalkans. Yes. And then there's a couple of sort of uh, subclasses and classes sort of related... Uh, subclasses... And backgrounds and stuff related to the guilds themselves. Mm. So the Simic hybrids, they're sort of a mix of human slash elf and some sort of animal. Mm. Uh, with various and different options, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I think we, we've covered these before, actually, I think, in a previous podcast, didn't we? We've we, we talked about them, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Loxodons, they've really... They, they sound like they've been much improved. But actually, that's not the thing I'm most excited about in this book. What is the thing you're most excited about? Is it the way it tastes when you lick it? No. Uh, <laughs> can't prove that. <laughs> um... What it is, it's uh, when you start looking at the guilds, mm. and what they have done is they've, they've they've got these ten guilds, and they're saying, well, okay, if you're playing a character of this class and or subclass, this is where you're likely to be found. So if you're playing in, like, say, Boris, you're likely to be a war wizard. Mm. But do you want to know what they do? It's even more fun than that. There's a flowchart, ah. and you answer questions, and it tells you what, what guild you should be in. Do you want to try Ooh. it? I would absolutely love to do that. So it's like, a, it's called, uh, What's Important to Me is the flowchart. Oh, you're taking a picture of it. Okay. Good. Yes. Right, so, I'm going to I'm gonna ask you the questions. We'll go through it. Yes. Find out what guild you're going to end up being in. Yay! So, first of all, what's important to me? So, you've got to choose between three options here. Okay. Option one. Nature and science is option number one. Sounds good, yeah. Option number two, learning other people's secrets and keeping my own. Ooh. Uh, yeah, and option on. number three is society and community. Oh, that's toughy. Um, for my character, I'd like to say learning other people's secrets. And I knew you were going to say that. Do you know how I knew you were going to say that? Was it my reaction? No, it was because on this flowchart, yeah. the other two lead on to all these different options. This one just has one thing coming out of it. How's Demir done? <laughs> so choose one of the other two otherwise the game okay. ends too quickly nature of science nature of science okay the next question then where would you rather spend your time mm-hmm. in the laboratory not the lavatory lavatory uh, the laboratory or in nature with the growing things uh, I'm going to say in nature with the growing things okay I spent enough real lifetime in the laboratory okay so the next question is yeah. doing what Building a peaceful community in harmony with nature or clearing away the edifices of a civilization so nature can grow again? Uh, I guess from a role-playing point of view, I'm going to go with clearing away edifices. Then you should be in the Gruul clans. G-R-U-U-L. Okay. There we go. Um, so tell me a bit about House Denier and House Gruul. You want to know about the Gruul clan. clans? Yes. Okay. Well, why don't we go through all of the, uh, all of the guilds very quickly then? Okay. Them. We can do them quite quickly here. All right. Uh, shall, we, shall we alternate between them? All right. So I'll start with the Azorius Senate and yeah. then you can go on to the next. So mm-hmm. Azorius Senate. So basically this is uh, the government 
with uh, three three uh, columns: uh, a legis- legislative, judicial, and executive branch. Yep. And it's under the leadership of a Sphinx Supreme Judge. And I glanced at the back of the book that Sphinx has a CR of twenty six. Fits on. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mess with the Sphinx; we get wrecked. No. The next right. one. The next one up is Boris Legion. Led by the Angel Aurelia, the Boris Legion pursues the cause of justice, not merely law enforcement. Boris serves as Ravnica's standing army. Yeah. So each of these basically has a role. So Azurius is the government. Yes. Boris is the army. Yes. Uh, so the next one, House Demir. Yeah. This is basically the secret, uh, the investigative services. Yes. So it's MI6 or the CIA or whatever. So it's a business of information operating an espionage organisation behind a uh, facade of messengers investigators and archivists its enigmatic leader lazav wears many faces what do you mean like literally that sounds a bit serial killer to me (laughs) (laughs) next one uh we've got the golgari swarm an elf lich named jared guides the golgari swarm's masses as they lurk in the inner city where they process the city's waste and see to the new life that emerges from death and decay basically the sewers yeah, they're basically sewer-dwelling yes. zombie sanitation engineers. So the next one was the one you ended up with, the Gula Clans. Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, this is a loose alliance led by the Cyclops uh, Borbori Gaimos. Yeah, go on then. I think, no. Borbori, no. Borbori Gaimos? <laughs> Borbori Bor- Bor- Gaimos. Borbori Gaimos? Who Bor- knows? Who knows how you pronounce that? Borbori Gaimos? I'm going to call him Jason as well. So the Cyclops Jason. Yeah. Bob. <laughs> Bob. Uh, yeah. Raging against civilization and its defilement of the natural world. Nice, nice. Next one. Okay, we've got the Izet League, led by the dragon Niv Mizet. Oh, oh. Is the... that a dragon? <laughs> is it? Uh, is the... it a dragon? Oh, I don't know, I assume so. The Izet League is a guild of scientists and engineers. That's why they're called the Izzet, because they're always asking, is it? Because uh, they have questions to ask who build and sustain Ravnica's infrastructure while conducting wild experiments in magic. Efforts that usually involve barely controlled elemental energy. Yeah. So, so it's perfect for your mad science needs. Yeah. So we've got science. Yeah, but it's, yeah it, is, it is very much. Like, very sort of defined roles, isn't it? So we've got government, Ooh. army, yeah. um, intelligence services, sewers. Sewers. Um, hey, hey, civilization. Random druids. You want, you'd want sewers. Scientists. Yeah. The next one is basically the mafia. The Orshov Syndicate. Mm-hmm. Um, a sinister combination of church, bank, and organised crime, controlled by the Obzitat, mm-hmm. a cabal of ancient spirits called the Ghost Council. Yeah, I mean, they're not going for any sort of Russian thing to that at all, are they? These next ones look nice. Ooh, the Cult of Rakdos. Uh, demonic cult, nice. I'm sold already. Is the <laughs> jester in Ravnica's culture using satire and performance to skewer the powerful and embolden the weak? But it's a cruel and bloodthirsty jester in the manner of its demonic leader and it supplements parody and levity with blood and fire. Hmm. So it's basically a bunch of clowns that will set your house on fire. It's basically, have I got news for you with added fire? <laughs> <laughs> have I got news for you if it was armed? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next one, uh, the Celestia Conclave. Mm-hmm. So there's three dryads who are fused together okay. with each other and also with Matt Selesnia, which is a manifestation of the soul of the world. We really should have read this to make sure someone had good names <laughs> pronounced. I feel a bit sorry for you. Uh, okay, I mean. you can do the last one. There you okay. go. Ah, the Simic Combine. 
under the leadership of Prime Speaker Zagana, the biomancers of the Simic Combine apply magic to the life sciences, striving to create a harmonious future where creatures of all kinds are perfectly adapted to their ever-changing environment. The Simic magically hastens the process of evolution adaptation hmm. adaptation of life. So there we go. So that is yeah. ten guilds. We have government, yes. army, yes. intelligence services, yes. sewers, yes. druids, yes. scientists, yeah. mafia, Mad scientists, yeah. mafia, mafia. Have I got news for you, cult? <laughs> I don't know, satirists. Three reporters. dryads yeah. and biomancers of the uh, ten guilds. Yeah, the three dryads thing, I'm... I don't quite get that one. Yeah. They seek to bring nature and the city into balance. Well, I think they're onto a bit of a loser, really, if it's a world-covering city, but fair yeah, enough. Don't know about mm. that. Anyway, that's, that's the ten guilds. So you choose, you choose one of those guilds, and yeah. the guild that you choose... Yeah. Um, from the looks of it, you get a special background available to you. And also they have special spells and various things related to each. So there's a whole chapter in the guilds, mm-hmm. which is what, 29 to 93. How many? 70-odd pages nearly. That is a fair amount of verbiage. Yeah. So each yeah, so each guild probably gets around seven pages or so there, look. And mm-hmm. um, you get information on the guild itself. Yep. You get information on a unique background mm-hmm. and these sort of special spells Related to that guild. Nice. I think they have got a unique location for each of the guilds that you can like draw upon to do stuff with. Yeah. Um, so the next chapter then, it deals with the 10th district. Ooh. Which is the district this book yes. focuses on. Because it doesn't cover the entire world. It just covers that, that one district. That would be a weightier book. That would be a much bigger book. Yeah. I, I think it's nice. It sort of gives you this is an example district. Please feel free to set it in a different district. I, I, am, I am liking this book. It is very nice. Uh, as I say, the artwork is gorgeous. So, yeah. the 10th district opens up with this double-page spread, mm-hmm. full-colour, sort of 3D map. Mm. Bloody gorgeous it is. It is nice. It is nice. It's, it's got some nice park bits, actually, to be fair. It has urban planning goes. We've seen worse. Yeah, so it's got basically 16 locations mentioned on it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely full-colour map. It's very nice. Yeah. Uh, so, and then it goes to all the different precincts. Mm. And the precincts... Yes are, as we mentioned earlier, named Precinct 1, Precinct 2, Precinct 3, yes, yes. Precinct 4, Precinct 5. But I bet you can't guess what the sixth precinct's called. <laughs> precinct says? <laughs> so uh, the precincts are as follows. I and mean, we can do oh. the same thing again. We just read each one very quickly. Yes. Okay. So do you want to do Precinct number 1? This is the hub of the wealthy and powerful, where courtly games and espionage play out among visitors, gawking at the impressive architecture. The precinct is also known as the Guild Pact Precinct. Yes. Uh, precinct 2 is the professional precinct. People live in clean and orderly neighbourhoods um, in the shadow of New Prav, while mob bosses coerce residents in order to enrich themselves and influence local politics. Mm, precinct 3. In the Greenbelt, nature has encroached into the urban environment to varying degrees, and folk here provide bountiful sustenance and domesticated beasts for most of the district. Mm. Precinct number four. Mm-hmm. This one's always in a state of turmoil. The scarred streets of Precinct four are a proving ground for soldiers and marauders alike. Visitors here had best be spoiling for a fight. Ooh. Precinct five. This is where the learned folk of the 10th district gather to discuss theory or to put their knowledge to practical use in the precinct's many schools, libraries and laboratories. Hmm. Precinct 6. The hard scrabble neighbourhoods of Precinct 6. The working folk eke out a living by toiling at warehouses, docks and factories controlled by callous employers. When night comes, the residents hide indoors to avoid becoming prey to creatures 
the stalk of the darkness. Bom bom bom. Hmm. So again, it feels quite similar to Waterdeep in that it's a bit of an urban location. Well, the, the entire setting's an urban location. Well, indeed. But, yeah. um, yeah. but it's weird again, we've got this very strict division again. Yes. So you've got your ten districts. Yep. Well, well at uh, least ten. At least ten districts. And then you've got your six precincts, and yep. you've got your ten guilds, and each one of them is rid- rigidly defined. Mm. So that you've got a precinct where people go to learn, and you get a precinct where what, people go to... What know, we're saying is, right... The people doing the zoning, they're not messing around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, <laughs> they're, they're not playing. Yeah. This like, is not this your stuff. Here. Yeah, but that's the thing. Get this out this entire people. setting isn't just geographically zoned. Yeah. It's culturally zoned. It's sociologically zoned. It it's, is. It's, yeah. it's politically zoned. Everything's zoned. It's weird. Yeah, I guess. And numbered, zoned and numbered as well. You know what? I don't know if it's in here, but it's potentially missing. It's also sort of class has a structure. Mm. Uh, like, yeah, well, they did mention class. sort of like the working folk here in Precinct 6. It looks mm. like that's sort of like a lower class precinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they mentioned like the wealthy and the powerful in Precinct 1. You've got the hierarchies and hierarchies. You've got the hierarchies in the guilds. You've got the hierarchies of how the districts relate to each other. Yeah. Uh, and how the uh, individual precincts relate. Mm. Or oh, does it sort of zoom in on particular precincts? Uh, yeah, so you get a couple of pages on each precinct there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get a map of each precinct. Nice. As I say, this book's gorgeous, just crammed full of stuff. Yeah, that so is... you get a map of each precinct individually, and then information about the precinct, yeah. people and rumours about the precinct and stuff. Yeah, for, for the plot seeds and so forth. Yeah, uh, various landmarks. Again, they're moving away from text boxes and so forth, but I think that's what makes sense, because it's not really like an adventure per se. Oh, it's so lovely. so beautiful, this yeah. book. You know, I think why it's so beautiful, I reckon most of this art probably comes from Magic the Gathering. Yes. So to fill this book with art, it didn't cost them anything extra. That's why they've got so Ooh, much. They it's would almost have every page, isn't it? Almost every page. Yeah. So much. Um, then we get a chapter on creating adventures. Nice. Which looks like it's a whole load of like random tables, like guild locations. Yeah. And uh, that- guild villains, you know, sort of like the villain is sending agents to infiltrate one or more guilds. A villain is attempting to disgrace or discredit a powerful person. Okay, it's got... Uh, does it say I guess you guys you just string these together yeah yeah it looks like it and then you've got mm. guild character objectives find a missing guild member kill a capture an enemy of the guild mm. so so all the adventures are guild related there yeah so, but, which makes a lot of sense they've been working very hard to set these up hey? yeah because faction play is something that they have been very interested yeah. ever since Fifth Ed's come out it's been Harper's Emerald Alliance Order of the Gauntlet so this is sort of changing it. Well, this uses the renown rules as well. Yes. Um, yes. Quite heavily. But okay. if, if you look at this, then you get sort of random tables for sort of like secondary guild roles and guild intrigue and cross purposes. Mm. Like the villain's activities, I don't know, um, threaten a character's contact or bond, mm-hmm. cause an accident or catastrophe that traps the characters, that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of, nice. a lot of random generation there. And then you go into each of the guilds yes. individually... And they have a bunch of sort of tables to roll sort of adventures, villains, which I presume you sort of combine together. Mm-hmm. I mean, a question that does occur... Adventure hooks, character goals. Is can characters play within the same guild? Aren't they expected to play within the same guild? Will they play from multiple guilds? There's a section earlier in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's got a section about how you would do that with mm-hmm. multiple guilds. Because generally speaking, the guilds do tend to be quite insular. with each other. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. So, so cross-skilled uh, cooperation would be potentially quite unusual. Yeah. And each guild has sort of like maps of 
various buildings. These are black and white maps here, which yes. is yeah. kind of unusual in this book because most of it's full of full colour stuff. For, it, there is a lot of full colour going on. Yeah. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. So you flip through all these and basically this goes through each of the guilds one at a time with, you know, a map, adventure hooks, mm-hmm. random tables, villains, all stuff like that. So after all that, yes. they give you an adventure. <gasps> uh, so this is about uh, 15 pages long, this adventure. It's called Krenko's Way and it's designed for uh, six... Uh, four to six mm-hmm. first level adventurers nice. and basically it's quite it's, it's quite a simple adventure so this is a goblin um, sort of mafia chief type guy mm-hmm. he's been in prison for a while he was quite yeah. powerful got caught he's been in prison for a while mm-hmm. and he's just escaped Ooh. and the players are kind of tasked with finding him and capturing him yeah. so yeah nice. a short, short little adventure there for for Krenko yeah the, the, it's interesting goblins are actually PCs so in fact you're not going to Generally speaking, I would say run across non-player or or species that you wouldn't also meet as a player. No, that's probably not. No. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, then we got a chapter on treasures, which is basically ah, yeah. you know the magical items and stuff. Now we're talking. Yeah, we all like magical items. I did see something earlier I quite liked. Was the one I was the one I liked? That was it. The pyro converger. Oh, and is that made flamethrower? <laughs> Love, oh, it. Oh, Love it. That's my favourite item in here, I think. Yeah, so Fire basically... Fire Guild Master's Guide to Rathmica, yeah. we've got flamethrowers. So projects fire in a 10-foot cone, 46 damage, save for half. Okay. It's quite nice. But every time you use it, you roll D10. Yes. Add the number of times you used it since your last long rest. Yes. And if you roll 11 or higher, yes. it malfunctions and you take 46 fire damage. Yay! <laughs> That sounds super safe. That does sound brilliant. I like it. Give it like to the it. barbarian. It's got the hit so points. So yeah, there's quite a lot of magical items in here. But then we get onto the friends and foes, so the staff Ooh. box. Because we mentioned that Mad Mage had very few of them. Yes. This is tons. This is, so many this is the rest of the book now. And Wow. Okay. A lot of That's stat like blocks. about a third, half of the book is stat blocks. Is it not? Uh, Water, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, 20, 25% stat blocks is a solid choice. Yeah. So it's not all sat blocks, it's like a lot of tables. Well, got, it's all broken down by guilds as well. Well, we got seventy eight, unless I've miscounted. So between probably like seventy six and seventy nine. About eighty. Coming up to eighty stat blocks. Uh, up now. to eighty stat blocks. Yeah. Yeah. That's a okay. lot of stat blocks. That's a mini so, monster manual that. So so I was basically wrong. Here is loads of like non player things to get into a wreck with. Including things like, what's that? Hybrid spies, cruel death priests. The Battle Force Angel. That sounds like some kind of anime thing, doesn't it? It's translating five angel there. Okay, yeah. You, you know Why the main angel? The Death Pact Angel. Ah, I see we're under A for Angels. Oh, that'd be nice, because there's a lot of D for Devil and D yeah. for Demon. And, yeah. That's, 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 that's a yeah. Um, Again, a lot of these things we mentioned have come with a half page about illustration. Oh yeah, chock full of illustration. Yeah, I mean, we've only been raving at it for like the past hour or so, so if you're not taking home the message that there's a lot of very pretty artwork, very evocative, very interesting artwork, then uh, that's we are so We are so easily persuaded, aren't we? Just show us a pretty picture and we're sold. It's perfect for podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, of course, why I'm taking some pictures, not of everything, and we're putting them on the Facebook page. I like um, the first, first line of the book. From the back of her soaring rock, a sky knight surveys the spire-studded cityscape below. I think that kind of sums up Ravnica quite well. Yeah, I think one of the things I did notice, uh, because 
just having a sneaky peek before the podcast, there is a section where they're talking about the various renown, which you mm. did mention earlier. And one of those things is you can become a, you can become a Sky Knight where you get a Skyjack rock. Mm. And you can actually have a flying mount. Oh, so that is the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. So what would you what is, would you say your takeaway is then? I think it's different, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. I think it is full of potential for politics and intrigue. Mm-hmm. It will definitely support, by design, the social pillar of D&D. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it will support the combat pillar of D&D. And I think it will support the exploration pillar in a way that traditionally hasn't been supported because there will be a lot of new stuff to find Mm. well for me i like it because a it looks gorgeous but b i just love i love that we're getting a proper new setting yeah um for dnd it's pretty and i really hope it's supported later i mean i hope it's not just this one book and run i i mean like uh barovia was one book and run wasn't it so mm. i really hope it i really hope it's supported later because i would love to see some more settings like delved into in a bit more detail yeah this sort of um semi sci-fi or magic has technology thing is is nice mm. um uh, i've heard a lot of things about eberron but i'm not very familiar with that setting uh mm. how does it compare I'm not super familiar with everyone either, oh. so I couldn't tell you. I mean, I know everyone does have sort of like magic as technology is one of its core themes. So. Mm-hmm. And obviously there are some new classes and new stuff. You've got new races, you've also got new classes, you've got the uh, Spore Druid and the Cleric of Order. But I wouldn't buy the book just for those, but I might well buy the book just for the rest of the stuff, because as I say, it's full of interesting and exciting uh, new stuff. So... Has a GM definitely want to pick up? Would you get it as a player sort of thing? Good question, because it's a mix of player and GM, or player and DM information, isn't it? So absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, because you you need it as a player to get the player the races just for the start. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you need the book for that. So yeah, okay. as a player, yeah, you you pick it up. You just have to not read the adventure, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean you've read you've read the, I mean, but assume. Well, at the time you're thinking about buying Guildmaster's Guide. No, not the setting information. You assume yeah. the characters in the setting know that information. So ninety percent of the information in there. Mm. So as, as you don't read the adventure or the monster yeah. stat blocks, I think probably as a player, yeah, yeah. you pick that up. So um, yeah, I did. We want to quickly mention our little competition then. Our competition, yes, we totally yeah. should. So um, we are holding a competition. As you know, mm-hmm. dear listeners, yes. uh, we do a sketch every week. It's usually fairly short. Sometimes it's as short as for like ninety seconds or so. Sometimes it goes on for three or four minutes. Yeah. But you know, we try we try to keep them quite snappy. But um, our competition this week is for you to write us a sketch. <gasps> Doesn't have to be long. Yes. Uh, if we like it, we will perform it for you on the podcast. Yep. And, of course, we will fully credit you for your sketch. That's right. So uh, send your sketches to morrispodcast at gmail.com. I promise you, it doesn't take long to write a sketch. Most of the ones that we've written, I've done in like under three minutes. <laughs> Does it show? Like this, this, this week's one, I literally just sat down and typed out in, I think. I think under a minute so if it's funny we shall do it yeah if, it, if it's funny we will do it we'll fully credit you for it and you know it'll be fun and it'll be part of the podcast if you want to be part of the podcast it's the way forward yeah yeah so uh, morrispodcast at gmail.com send in your sketches and yeah we will we will perform them for you a uh, couple of rules there's only two of us it's true so write it for two people 
I, I can try and do a funny voice, but it will be me. <laughs> um, you can you can poke fun at things. Try not to be mean. Yes, be 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 kind. And yeah, that's basically. It. And uh, try to try to keep it PG, please. And otherwise, we'll have to edit it, and then it won't be as good. Yeah, that's the competition for this week. Send in your uh, send in your sketches, and if we like them, we shall perform them for you. Um, I think that's it for the week, then. I think it is. So shall we wrap this up? Yes, let's wrap it like a Christmas present. All right, then. Can I just please remind you to please support our Patreon? Oh, just yes, chuck please. in a dollar a month or something, because every penny helps. Yes, uh, we we absolutely love it. We'd love to keep on doing this podcast, and but as bills pay, so... Yeah, so to out. find that, go to patreon.com forward slash Morris. Yes. We look forward to your support. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, so that's that's it for this week. So um, until next week, thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me, Russ. It's goodbye from me, Peter Coffee. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listening to that drivel just made me feel nauseous. Maybe a spot of eyeball raking will make me feel a bit better. But which one shall I torture? I do enjoy Russ's screams, but Peter makes these wonderful gurgling noises when he's in pain. Decisions, decisions.